thanks for being here, everyone. We're happy to be here together. Uh, thanks for joining us. I, I know our summers are busy. A lot of us are traveling. Some of us leaving uh, this afternoon to head out on last-minute trips before kids get back to school. Uh, if you get to do any last-minute trips, any extra trips, remember, uh, send us a selfie of yourself in some unique location uh, so that we can continue to circulate where the vine has been this summer. We've been all over the world, and it's been amazing. We just want to celebrate uh, God's blessing and the opportunities to travel uh, and, and uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus, wherever we find ourselves. So uh, excited uh, about what's happened this summer and really looking forward to the fall. You know, we celebrate two years in October. This, uh, on, on October 8th, we're going to celebrate our two-year anniversary. I mean, we are still, uh, we're, what, toddlers at this point, right? I mean, we are new in this journey, but we are loving it. We feel so blessed to be in this community and, um, and to be uh, just uh, listening to the voice of God in, in, in this community and considering uh, where God's calling us into the Tri-Cities, our, our, our larger community. It's been a blessing, and thanks for being on this journey with us. You know, uh, so over the course of the summer, we've been studying, uh, we've been in a series called A Glimpse of God. And the premise is this. Um, the Old Testament stories that we read, uh, we, we, you know, we focus on a character like Moses or, um, or, or Noah or Adam and Eve. And, and we learn a lot about humanity. We learn a lot about the characters in that story. But ultimately, I think each of these stories most importantly points to a, a characteristic of God. Ultimately, the subject of the Old Testament is God and, and, and his work in the world, his work uh, amongst humanity. And so today we're going to look at a man named Elijah. And, uh, and, and we're going to look at Elijah's story, his experiences, and then we're going to ask the question, what do, we, what do we learn about God in the context of this story uh, of a man named Elijah? Now, Elijah was a prophet. And the prophets in the Old Testament, in, in Israelite uh, society, had the incredibly challenging job of telling people exactly what they needed to hear and exactly what they didn't want to hear. Does that make sense? The, the job of a prophet was to say what needed to be said on the behalf of God, and it was often the very last thing the people wanted to hear. And so the prophets were not often loved by their own people, but they, they boldly spoke the word of God as he called them to. And this man, Elijah, uh, um, uh, king, uh, the king of Israel at the time is a man named Ahab, his wife Jezebel, and they have led people away from God. It's not all their fault. The people chose other gods. And so many in Israel worshiped a god named Baal. And, um, and at this time, as Elijah comes to speak to the people the word of God, um, the, the nation has, has, has gone far from God. Um, they're, they're living their own lives, worshiping false gods, foreign gods of, of the people of the land that they had taken, and, uh, and their hearts are just far, far from the God that had brought them into this land. And so Elijah comes, um, uh, in, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18, and I want to summarize um, the first story. There's two primary stories about Elijah, the first on Mount Carmel and this challenge against the prophets of Baal, and I want to summarize that, read a couple pieces of it. And our main text is going to be in chapter 19, when Elijah finds himself in a moment of crisis right after the moment of victory, okay? So we'll start with the victory. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18, um, and, uh, and it goes like this. People are far from God. God co- goes to Ahab, and he says, I want you to gather the people of, of Israel. I want you to gather the prophets of Baal and of the other gods. There's some 800 prophets standing in opposition to the one man 
trusting in God, this man named Elijah. 800 against one, a king that has no interest in Elijah or in God. And they come to this place. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, I just want to read this brief little part. It, it says, Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. He lays out this simple gauntlet. Hey, if God, if the Lord is God, then it's time you start following him. But wavering between the two options is no longer a good option, as though it ever was, right? Uh, This is not the way to live your life. And there's going to be places in the story, in this text, as we read further, where we're going to say, like, this is so far from 21st century culture. This is so far from our lives. When they're sacrificing animals in a public place, right? Uh, We're going to say this just does not connect with 21st century uh, Western Christendom or or American uh, practices. But there's other places in this text that I think we're going to find our ourselves resonating quite precisely with what's happening in Israel. For instance, right here, uh, this idea of living two lives, uh, torn between two opinions. So much of our, our Christian faith revolves around attending a service on a Sunday and then walking out as though it never happened, living lives, right? This, this idea of if God is truly God, then wouldn't we follow And so much of our Christian practices and so much of the way we operate as a nation revolves around this ideal of a God that that will express maybe verbally, uh, but the following and the living out of those things. Man, that's something that our nation struggles with today. And so Elijah, again, speaking the words that people need to hear but don't want to hear, he says, give up on the dualistic thought process, give up on, on, on the wavering between two opinions. If God is truly God, then follow him. If you know something else, go do it. But if God is God, then follow him exclusively. Okay, so Elijah says, and so here I won't just leave it at words. I will demonstrate to you that, that, that God is the true God and he holds the power. And so he stages this contest in front of the 800, uh, against the 800 prophets of Baal and other gods, um, in, in, in the sight of the king, in the sight of all of Israel that would come out. So who knows how many thousands or tens of thousands of people have come out to the mountain to see this sight. He says, here's the contest. We will, um, we'll, we'll slaughter two bulls. We'll build altars, slaughter two bulls, bulls, and, and whichever God calls down fire and, and ignites the altar, that is a true God. And so the 800 other prophets, they say, okay, this is a good deal. And, uh, and, and Elijah says, you go first. And, and the text says that from 6 a.m. until noon, they went about these frenzied practices, these frenzied rituals of calling on their gods, saying, uh, Baal, come and, and, and light the altar. You know, Baal, come to this place. And after six hours, nothing was happening. A lot of frenzied activity, uh, but no response from this Baal. And so Elijah, he does exactly what any good, uh, sound-minded uh, man of God would do in this moment. He starts mocking the 800 prophets of Baal. He says, he says hey, maybe your God's asleep and you've got to wake him up. He says, maybe he's off on, on vacation. You're going to have to call him back over here. Elijah starts mocking them. Um, and so they begin cutting themselves and letting of their blood, uh, which was a, a practice um, in, in many of these pagan religions. And, and so their, their blood is flowing. They're calling out to their God. Uh, they're dancing around the altar and nothing is happening. 
And so watch what happens in 1 Kings 18, verse 36. Um, it's Elijah's turn. It's God's turn. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. And picture this in the context of them having cut themselves and for hours upon hours chanted and called out to their gods. And Elijah steps up and says a simple and quiet prayer. He says this, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And you might know the story. The fire comes down, and it consumes not only uh, the, the bull that was sacrificed, but the altar itself, right? Uh, fire comes down, and the people of Israel come to know that the God they had abandoned was the true God. And the people of Israel that have turned to other gods find themselves heartbroken, realizing we have turned away from the God that loved us, that brought us to this place, that led us out of Egypt, and we have turned to false gods that hold no power in this world. In this moment, Israel knew their true God and were minded of him. Look, look at his prayer there. He says some really important things. Pull that prayer back up if it's not up there. Um, he, says, uh, he says, these are the reasons, God. Call down this fire. Answer my prayer, not for my sake. If I can be a little bit vulnerable in this moment, uh, I, like maybe many of us, would be saying, God, save my life. God, it's 800 against one. God, I'm going to look like an idiot if you don't do this. Let's be honest. Those are some of the thoughts that are probably going through our head. But notice Elijah doesn't go there at all. He says, God, call down this fire that they may know that you are God and they may know that you are turning hearts back to yourself. Those, those two pieces are going to be important as Elijah's story continues. So let's continue. Um, so uh, Ahab the king, he goes back and reports to Jezebel everything that had happened. And Jezebel the queen, she says, uh, I, I swear this oath, I will take Elijah's life by the end of the day. And, and it's a fascinating, uh, a, a tragic response. When all of Israel has come to know again the God who is powerful, the God who is faithful, the God who shows up in moments of need, the queen whose heart is hard says, for this, Elijah will lose his life. But you'd think Elijah, having just witnessed the power of God, having begun to see the peoples of Israel turn back to the God, God is turning hearts back to himself, you would think that Elijah would stand strong, right? You would think that he would know God is seeing me through the situation. It was 800 against one. One-on-one with the queen, it's going to be okay. You would think Elijah would move uh, forward confidently in this moment, but he doesn't. First Kings chapter 19, and we're going to read a little bit further. This is going to be our text for the day. First Kings 19, starting in verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. Elijah finds himself absolutely despondent, absolutely unable to go forward. It's the strangest twist in the story that you can imagine. 
I mean, a threat on his life. His life was always threatened. They had killed every other prophet, and he had survived all that. In the moment when God had shown up and shown his power, you'd imagine Elijah would move forward confidently. But we see him here absolutely without hope, absolutely despondent, having given up, Lord, take my life. I have nothing else. I don't know if you've ever experienced this sort of thing. Isn't it interesting from from the highest of heights, we can find ourselves so quickly falling to the lowest of, of, of depths, right? The way our emotions can prey on us, the way even just the frenzied excitement of good experiences can so drain us that in the next moment, we can find ourselves totally lost. From the highest of heights to the lowest of depths, that's where Elijah finds himself in this moment. And the story continues. All at once, the angel touched him. He's just fallen asleep, totally lost. Angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God. There he went into a cave, and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord, the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So the story plays out. um, Elijah, despondent and unable to go on, lays down under a tree asking God just to to take his life. He couldn't do it any longer. Remember I said that we learn a lot about people uh, when we study these stories, but even more about God. So I want to take a moment to notice what we would often overlook in this text, and that is God's response in Elijah's lowest moment. Now, you would think God would immediately respond with, it is not hopeless, I am powerful. Why are you forgetting the powerful things that I've done, right? There's so much rebuke and correction. Elijah is in the wrong, his head is in the wrong place. He, he, he's not in tune with, with what God is doing and the hope that is available in this very moment. But God doesn't respond with any of that. He starts with a meal. He says, here, have something to eat. The next thing God does is he says, he says, Elijah, why are you here? And God lends him his ear. God says, have a meal and talk with me. I'll sit and listen. And the simplicity of it is, uh, is overwhelmingly beautiful to me. How often in our lives, when, when we have a friend who's hurting and desperately in need, do we respond with, well, have you prayed about it enough, Right? And that's good because prayer is powerful and we should always be doing that. But how often do we respond with solutions or or maybe even lay a little extra guilt on because maybe they're not doing it right? Well, Elijah's in the wrong here. He's not perceiving properly what's happening in this moment, but God doesn't start with rebuke and he doesn't start with correction and he doesn't lay more guilt on for what Elijah hasn't done or hasn't realized. He starts with a meal and a willingness to sit and to listen. And friends, I hope that's a characteristic of God, that as a people, as a church, as just community members and friends of anyone we come in contact, that that we would take on a little bit of, right? 
that, that when the world hurts around us, there's often solutions, there's also often corrections to be made, and God will go there in the end of this text. But maybe the first step is learning to just share a meal and to listen to the perspective of another. I think there's something beautiful and powerful in the way God engages Elijah in his lowest of low moments. And so after giving him food, God sends him uh, on, on this journey. He finds himself at Mount Horeb. And you may not recognize the name Mount Horeb, but you would recognize maybe the name Mount Sinai. And, and it's one and the same. You see, Mount Sinai is the mountain that, that, um, uh, that Moses received the Ten Commandments on. Okay, it's the mountain that 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 uh, Moses went up, and the Israelites looked up and they saw fire and smoke and lightning and storms. And God gave uh, Moses these ten commandments. It's the mountain which I think Sarah mentioned this a few weeks ago, in which um, God put Moses inside uh, the cleft of a rock and passed by that he could see his glory. That's significant in what's about to happen in this story. So the Lord said to, to, to Elijah, he's on this mountain, he's in this cleft of the rock, who knows if it's the same one that Moses found himself in, but we see the story begin to continue. God had, God had shown up powerfully in the life of Moses and in the life of the Israelites uh, as they're wandering through the desert. He gave them their commandments and showed them how to live, and he was faithful to them, bringing them food. God worked powerfully through all of that. And in this moment, we'll see in this parallel story of Elijah, a prophet of God, um, God again revealing himself to a man on this mountain. But watch how it plays out. It's remarkable. The Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out, and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Friends, this is the text. I wanted to talk about today, the gentle whisper. Now, here's the interesting thing about the story. All of the climactic moments have already happened. By the time you get to the gentle whisper, God has brought down fire on the altar, right? Uh, he's he's uh, brought uh, Elijah meals, and he sent him on a 40-day journey. He sent wind and, and fire and an earthquake. All of the big moments have happened. But it's in this final moment that Elijah experiences God in a transformational way, in a way that, that breathes life back into him. It's in a gentle whisper that he comes to know the presence of God. And here's the crazy thing. A short time earlier, he's up against these prophets of Baal, and, and Elijah says, God, I want you to reveal yourself for two reasons. Those two reasons, remember these? They were um, that they may know that you are God and that you are turning hearts back again. And isn't it wild, just a short time later, Elijah finds himself on the mountain of God, completely lost and having given up, needing to know two precise things, that the Lord is God and that he is continuing to turn hearts back to him. Elijah has become the subject and the recipient of the very prayer he had prayed for the Israelite people. 
right? And so God shows up in this gentle whisper. So often in our lives, when we're searching for God, especially when we're new in our faith and we're, we're, we're asking questions of, is there a God or, or, or how do I pursue, how do I approach this God, we look for, for big and miraculous things, and those happen. Throughout this story, those big and miraculous things happen. We in our lives have seen big and miraculous things happen as God has, has healed us, as, as God has guided us and worked powerfully throughout our lives. But it's in this moment, It's in this characteristic of God, a gentle whisper, that Elijah, that Elijah's heart is pierced, that Elijah comes to know his loving father and is drawn back into relationship. And I want to ask us today, you know, where does this connect in our lives? What do we do with a story like this, one that is so far removed from our day-to-day lives? I want to consider, what does it look like to listen to the gentle whisper of God? above all the flashy, noisy, and phenomenal things happening around us. What does it mean to listen to that gentle whisper, to find our hope, our direction, a breath of life in that gentle whisper? You see, we live in a culture full of earthquakes and rock-shattering winds and fire. We live in a culture incredibly distracted by phenomenal and amazing things. And I wonder, friends, if God has been gently whispering into our ear for some time, I am God, and I'm calling your heart back to myself. I find my heart so often pulled towards the big and flashy and amazing things around me. And there's God, that gentle whisper, saying, will you come back to me? I am inviting your heart into my presence that you can know true joy, that you can know true hope and direction in this life. So friends, I want to invite us to that. You remember in the very beginning, the one other passage I read was, um, was Elijah speaking to the people, and he says this, hey, if God is God, then follow him. It was that simple. And I wonder if this morning, you know, we each come in from very different places, some of us just considering uh, following Jesus for the first time. But I wonder if, if I, I'd challenge you, I'd invite you to, if you haven't recently, Take some time to step away from the big, flashy, and amazing things in life and just quietly listen to God's gentle and loving voice around us. It's a first step. Ultimately, it's not the big and powerful and amazing things that pierce the heart of God's people. It's his voice. It's time spent in silence listening. It's time spent uh, listening to his voice in Scripture. Ultimately, it's God's gentle voice that will pierce our hearts and change our lives. And some of us have been following Jesus for quite some time. And maybe the challenge that Elijah laid out in the very beginning is what we need to walk away with today. Maybe it's simply this. If he's God, then follow And many of us, myself included, are quite convinced of that truth and struggle to continue to follow. I'll take it one step further as we close today. So what does it look like to follow God? Because we could leave this on a very abstract concept. Just follow him, and then we walk out the door, and we're like, now where do I go? What's he leading me to, right? Very abstract. And so this is where, like, discipleship and growing in our faith becomes important. And in a few few weeks, we're going to start a series on kind of the discipleship flow that we're developing and considering for the church. 
And it looks something like this. Um, It is our dream to create a place of belonging in a church, a place where people can come uh, and and find a sense of safety and a place in which they can belong, ask hard questions, and explore who Jesus is and what he might be calling us to. In that place of belonging, we begin to participate in a faith community, right? We walk together, we serve together, we sing songs together, we share meals together. And in this participation... God begins to plant seeds of belief in our life. We say there's something different to this. There's something different to these people. There's different, something different to these experiences. I eat three meals a day, but there's something different when I sit with these people and, and share a meal together. There's something powerful when I, when I pray with or listen to the prayers of these people. And so through this place of belonging uh, comes a participation that we start to find this belief and this new hope that maybe we had never known. And in this new hope, in this faith, in this belief in a God who is good and loving and the creator, in a belief that Jesus offers us something that can't be found anywhere else in this world, well, that's where God begins a transformational work in our lives in which we begin to become who God has created us to be. So the question is, okay, so if God is God, uh, then follow, right? What does that mean? What does that look like? I challenge you, if nothing else, to start with this simple truth, that engaging in a place of belonging, a faith community in which you can belong and walk alongside people, ask hard questions and pray with people, this is a first step in following God. It's the reason we come together. Granted, I can have a personal relationship with God. I do, and I love it, but something very special happens when followers of God come together, create a place of belonging, and begin to grow together. This is following God. And soon there'll be opportunities to do service projects in our community, to demonstrate the love of God. It's a simple smile at a cashier at, at, a, at a grocery store who treated you badly because she's having a bad day, right? Those simple things that begin to demonstrate God's love. We're participating in what God is doing. We're following in the loving way of Jesus. And in all of that, he is transforming us. Belief is growing inside of us, and we're beginning to become the people that he created us to be. So friends, I'll leave you with this. Wherever you're at in your faith journey, if God is God, it's time we follow. And if you're ready to make a new commitment in, uh, in that journey, I'd ask, don't leave today without saying it to someone. It's going to be an important step in your journey to have said, I think I'm beginning to believe. Because we get to start to engage and have conversation. And so if you want to talk with myself or Jake or Jen or Steve or just the person next to you and say, God's been whispering in my ear for some time. There's something more and I want it. Well, then I'd invite you to to start that conversation today because it's incredibly important. God is doing beautiful things in your life as we begin that journey together. Friends, let's pray as we close out this morning. Father God, we thank you for this time and we thank you for an opportunity to explore the story of Elijah. Father, we thank you ultimately um, that, that you shine through in this story as a God who is faithful, as a God who shows up sometimes in fire at the altar and sometimes in just the gentle whisper in our lives. Father, I pray that you will speak to us. Invite us, Father, to know that you are God and to know that you are calling our heart towards you. Father, help us to follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.